Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Kevin, welcome to the Australian Investors Podcast. Thank you, Owen. Very glad to be here. People will know your voice, may have seen you around. Floating around. Floating around. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, mate. What do you do? Um, I'm an analyst with Rask. I love investing. Um, I love sort of global stocks. Um, love looking to ASX companies as well. Um, yeah, I think things just kind of fascinate me in terms of how the world works. So, um, love digging in and, and diving deep into various topics and uh, things that sort of, I guess, track my curiosity. So, yeah. Cool. That's what investing is, isn't it? Absolutely. It's about identifying curiosities and following it. Today, we're going to be talking about the top performing stocks. And when we say that loosely, it's not just stocks, it's other things as well mm-hmm. from 2023. We are recording this in mid-December. Um, at the time that you listen to this, Kev might be at a family barbecue and I, I may be mowing the lawn. Um, <laughs> but that's okay. Don't let that put you off. Um, because we've gone back, or Kev's gone back, I shouldn't take any credit for this, and looked at the top performing companies from the ASX and global markets. Mm-hmm. And talking, we're going to talk about some of the themes that were prolific throughout 2023, uh, because who doesn't like a good recap on what was and what has been um, when it comes to investing? So we will have a bunch of different names, a bunch of different companies. Uh, lithium gets a very strong uh, exposure in this year's list of companies. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but before we get to that, let's talk about the top trends, Kev. So, what made headlines? What was interesting to a lot of investors this year? I think the biggest one for me um, really is AI. Like, I think that really captured a whole bunch of top headlines. I think a lot of the public, not just sort of investors, have really been able to see how that technology has evolved and evolved really quickly over the last couple of years. Um, I think everybody now has really had a play or had something to do with ChatGPT. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I first had a play with it, I was like, oh, yeah, it's, it's okay. But the more I think that you do play with it and input various stuff and, you know, really test its limits, I guess the more impressed that you you become 
with mm. it. And I think it's, you know, a lot to do with the basically the language engines and and how much that has evolved to really deliver things quickly. And, you know, it's not perfect. Like you're not going to get, don't rely on, on exactly specific things. And, you know, the latest data isn't all built in yet. But I think that will really come with iterations. So I think that was probably the biggest thing um, for me, like, you know, and then seeing how that trend has then flowed over into music, into art, mm -hmm. where y you're seeing things that I think were once probably too far for what was considered sort of AI machine learning. You know, there was all the creatives that we see around us, like, you know, th that was considered a very sort of human skill. And I think that you know, AI has really proved that, you know, some of those areas it can really tackle as well. So, mm. Um, mm. yeah. I think one of the things that you mentioned in um, your research in the lead up to today was this idea of how the model learns. And it probably illustrates for people that don't understand the difference between these language models and maybe traditional programming. Yeah, I think the biggest thing there is to really separate sort of how it kind of works and traditionally like a lot of the compute that most people know um, and are on most people's computers it's, it's powered by CPU so that's the main processing um, unit but where AI has been able to make these leaps is with uh, by harnessing the GPU side of things and the difference there is that a CPU can tackle you know one problem at a time very well. So it's got billions of transistors and that can sort of answer questions one at a time. But what a GPU does is it can answer multiple things at once. And so that's kind of like kind of how they call sort of series versus parallel. And the best way to, that I've seen that, um, I guess, explained is in this video. I think NVIDIA did it, um, you know, way back uh, where it was able to draw... Um, a picture or two pictures actually. So one was using a, a CPU where it drew a smiley face and it sort of shot out paintballs. Um, so if you could imagine uh, sort of this this blank canvas and it was like going bang, 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 and then it shot eyes and a nose and a mouth. Whereas a GPU, what that would do is it would shoot millions of or like hundreds of paintballs all at once and produce an image straight away. And I think that's the, I guess, step change in the technology and how that works. So mm. um, I think in putting that into perspective, like you're, you're talking about sort of since 2012, that technology has been able to double its compute power every three to four months. So in that sort of 10 years that we're talking now, it's gone 300,000 X, which is why we've been able to sort of get to where we are right now. Mm. The other thing that was really interesting to me in the notes you put together was for people uh, who aren't familiar with this uh, is how we program computers historically was you would write a line of code and the processor would read that line of code and it moved to the next line and the next line and the next line. And you would have to like actually program that in, write it in, set the rules. Um, whereas with these language models, you don't have to do that. No, and that's the, the second part of it, really. It's basically where, like, traditionally what you would have to do with code is, like, um, put it into the algorithm or write the algorithm to be, like, these are the set of rules and this is what you have to do step by step. Whereas now what we describe is you're almost going, this is the input and this is the output. So almost like this is the start and this is the destination. And then with 
the data that it consumes, the models then figure out a way to kind of travel that distance. And um, traditionally, if you're using an algorithm, it's very fixed and it's very sort of limited to how a programmer or how a developer can sort of code that up. But the, the difference with this is like the models can come up with um, basically pathways or uh, destinations where we could never even dream of. And that's the, I guess, the powerful, uh, the power side of it where, mm. you know, we've seen sort of AlphaGo in that documentary. I don't know if you've seen that one, Owen, but mm. basically um, in, in games of chess or, or other games, it can come up with moves that human players have never come up with before um, because it knows it only has to get to the end goal of winning rather than sort of step-by-step -step move. So it's pushing out and maybe running scenarios of hundreds of different moves every time um, the game progresses. Mm. So that was interesting. So it's kind of like, instead of coding the rules of chess, you can just tell it to watch the games mm -hmm. and then eventually it figures out what the rules are. It just learns. Yeah, and then it just writes its own strategies, mm -hmm. um, which is really interesting um, when you think about the implications of that. And definitely investors have got ahead of themselves a bit in some respects by thinking if this company comes out and says that buzzword, I'll probably invest in it or something like this. And the companies aren't. They're probably using these GPT tools against you to say, come and invest in our small cap company that might do something AI related when in fact it doesn't do any of that. Um, so we'll get to some of those companies in a second. Some other things that took headlines this year. Um, the first thing was obviously interest rates going up in the uh, in Australia and the United States. Um, as we sit and record this, expectations are that they may go the other way next year, mm -hmm. uh, particularly in the US, not so much here in Australia. Uh, and that's obviously had an impact on weaker companies. It's had an impact on debt-laden companies. It's had an impact on household budgets and spending. It's had an impact on consumer and business confidence. So all of those things have been quite scary. If everyone remembers back to the beginning of the year, the mortgage interest rate, fixed interest rate cliff, well, that's come and gone. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't as scary as many of those headline writers had us believe. Uh, obviously, we, it's all great with hindsight, but it didn't. Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense that the whole world would go to nothing. No. Um, but those are things that people can, were, cons were scared about. The final thing, maybe if you want to talk about just briefly, is the the rise of uh, semiglutide, which is a type of, uh, I guess, I think they call it an inhibitor, if I'm not mistaken, um, commonly known as a Zempic. Mm -hmm. And that's had an impact on many ASX listed companies. Yeah, like uh, it's probably hasn't been as felt or the impact hasn't been as high in Australia as it is in the United States. So for those of you that don't know, it's an FDA approved drug that's primarily been created to sort of help people with their blood sugar levels and diabetes. Mm -hmm. um, but sort of side effects of that is weight loss and um sort of throughout the past 12 months, this product has gone bananas. So um, just some stats on this, like in the US, 42% of people are classified obese. Mm -hmm. um, but where this drug has really sort of hit its straps is um, Azempic accounted for more than 65% of total prescriptions at the end of 2022. Wow. Um, so it's pretty crazy. It's kind of flown off the shelves and been off in demand. And it's almost to the point where the people that need this drug for diabetes can't actually get it. So 
that's the kind of effect it's had. Um, what it basically does is it slows down um, and suppresses hunger, um, slows down the digestion, um, so people basically feel fuller and then they're consuming less calories um, because of it. So it's seen an average weight reduction of around 15% versus like placebo uh, in its testing. So that's on par with basically metabolic surgery, which is very invasive, very kind of serious medical treatment. So mm. um I don't think I've heard as much of it sort of go around in Australia, but over in the US, it's really had a big impact. And the flow on effect for investors is that a lot of medical companies, um, even Australian listed ones have been severely affected by this. Um, I don't think, I think maybe some of the sell downs from this have been overblown personally, but mm. um, I'd like to get sort of your take on yeah, that. Yeah, that would be my take as well, to be honest, Kev. Um, particularly with like the likes of ResMed, which is a sleep apnea device maker, and uh, CSL. Mm-hmm. Um, both of those businesses have been impacted by this uh, because fewer people with things like obesity means not as many people with sleep apnea um, and these types of things. At the end of the day, though, those are still two wonderful companies and they mm-hmm. pr- could present the buying opportunities for people. Um, but Zempic and those types of business are not businesses are not on our top stocks list, Kev. No. Um, so you went and run, and um, we will get to the kind of, I guess, the minutiae of this in a moment. But you went and run um, some screens on the ASX, and you looked at all of the companies that have performed exceptionally well on a twelve-month basis. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't line up perfectly with the end of the financial uh, end of the calendar year. Sorry, but you looked at these companies. And if we just did a simple share price then, share price now, mm-hmm. what are the types of companies that come out on top? I hate to say this, but they're kind of more speculative companies. So the mm. the first kind of screen that we ran, and it's, we ran it on ticker, um, is for all ASX companies, um, all industries, and with a market cap of greater than 100 million. So that would capture quite a lot of the market. Mm. Um, And in the results there was pretty interesting. Like you've got some really amazing um, share price performance and well done to any of the investors that have, you know, been along for the ride here. But um, Mm. the top one there was Wildcat Resources, which uh, its ticker is WC8. Mm -hmm. Uh, Billion dollar market cap now, lithium miner. um, Basically, it's... In its results, it's announced um, some pretty big uh, lithium discoveries. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't have a whole lot of cash in the bank nor revenue at this stage. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the- Super early stage. Still very early. Um, definitely an explorer. And that's kind of the common theme with a lot of the top 10 here. Like you've got things like Azure Minerals as well, another lithium explorer. Um, they also raised a whole bunch of money uh, but they're also burning a whole bunch of money, around $30 million a quarter at this stage. Um, wow. Spartan Resources as well, another one which used to be called uh, Gascoigne Resources, a gold explorer. Um, again, not profitable. Um, I think in FY22, they were just cash flow positive. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were another two there, Clearview, again. Um, just like the glass technology. That's We've correct. been asked about this company before. Mm-hmm. Um, where it does like the, where you could turn your glass into some sort of like solar panel like material. Correct. Very exciting technology, you know, if they can get that developed and then get it to market and commercialized. Um, 
To date, though, they I think they just signed a small $250,000 contract uh, with a solar greenhouse, but again, burning a whole lot of cash, not that much in the bank either. So mm. these are very early stage businesses and you know a lot could go right, uh, but equally as important, a lot could still go wrong. Yeah. So, um, so in the top five then, we've got Wildcat Resources, mm-hmm. Azure Minerals, Clearview, ticker simple CPV, Spartan Resources, SPR, and Visan, mm-hmm. uh, which is a much smaller water environmental company. So Wildcat up 2,700% or 27 times, 1,500% for Azure and the rest up in the hundreds of percent. So one of the things that people will be realizing as soon as you do a screen like this, Kev, whenever you go, show me all the best performing stocks on the ASX and you do it today, it will show you all of those tiny little speculative things from a year ago that have now performed well. So how can you get around that? So what we do then is basically just go, hey, let's put a revenue hurdle rate in there for them. So Mm -hmm. the one that we used was um, greater than $5 million of annual revenue, which isn't a huge step either. But I think that at least knocks out a lot of these companies that are much earlier in their Mm. um, sort of journeys. So, Because some of those companies had like a billion dollar market cap, but no revenue, Mm -hmm. which is extraordinary. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And, you know, for investors there, like a lot of that is really like, I'm not sure if you can even call it multiple expansion because if they're pre-revenue, aka not earning any money at all from external sort of customers and clients, then... Um, you know, there's a lot built into that share price already and there would need to be a lot that goes right. Yeah. So, um, it's basically like a hope as an investment strategy, which doesn't always work. Um, you're basically betting on something massive happening in the future. So, we've got companies, we've excluded some metals and mining companies mm-hmm. and try to get towards more industrial style businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and the list come out with Step 1 Clothing, mm-hmm. uh, STP, Doug Technology, DUG, Satire, CTT, Newix, which is an embattled company. We'll get to it in a minute. NXL, uh, I think it's Chrysos. Chrysos. Chrysos, yeah, Corporation. I know my friend Ryan Newman always talks to me about this business. C79 is a ticket symbol. Codan, CDA, which has been around for a long time. Juratech, DUR, Symbio Holdings, SYM, Ordinate, which many of the listeners are familiar with, mm-hmm. which is an audiovisual technology company, 88. And finally, Hello World Travel, HLO, which many of you will know as a travel agent. Um, bit of a mixed bag. Yeah. And I think the common theme here, um, along with the, the global stocks or the US stocks that we'll get into as well later, is that very much a turnaround story. So mm. um, if you really dive deep, I think Ordinate's the only one that's kind of hit all-time highs, but, you know, we had this massive run sort of during COVID um, and then this quite a big fall with the growth sell-off. So, a lot of these businesses and their share prices are kind of recovering from that. Um, Mm. But, you know, stepping into the first one and no pun intended is (laughs) um, the the bamboo or the premium bamboo undies Mm. uh, company that I'm not sure if you own a pair. I do not, but I do see people wearing them, step one undies. Um, I remember when this hit the... uh, the market, their PR company reached out to us to see if we would interview them. Mm. I declined uh, because uh, I wasn't 100% sure if it was a good idea. <laughs> and uh, lo and behold, it fell pretty heavily, but then it bounced off the bottom, mm-hmm. obviously. Uh, I don't know about anything about Doug Technology. That's probably the most interesting sounding business. Mm. Yeah, I don't know that much about it either, but just for the brief look that I had, it's sort of 
analytical software company and data centers. Um, mm. They talk about sort of uh, this unique cooling technology, which allows their um, compute to sort of go to really high performance. They do things like sonic seismic processing. So that's kind of like weather stuff and forecasting and, and modeling. Um, the big thing with this business is their services revenue exploded during the year. So that was up plus 70 cents plus 70% uh, for FY23, um, hmm. up to 40 million. So this is like, you know, real revenue, um, real results. And that has really translated into their operating cash flow, which went from, you know, burning money to plus 13.3 million uh, positive. So wow, pretty that's impressive. That's a big inflection point. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, next up was Satire. Satire is CTT on the ASX. It does, um, if I'm not mistaken, it does a lot of secondhand luxury items. So you can get handbags, uh, you could get shoes, you could get all that sort of stuff on there. I think it's actually mainly new. So oh, right. Is it? Um, I think what they, early days, it was called sort of a gray, gray market seller. So yeah. it didn't officially have, I guess, the rights to sell these products. But what it did was it did deals with distributors. Um, behind the main brand and then we're selling these at a discount. So you would have, as you know, with sort of luxury products, there's a huge markup. So by doing these deals with distributors, the distributors were still happy, companies were kind of happy, but they were sort of getting discounted and, you know, savvy shoppers online were getting a pretty good deal. Mm. So um, pretty impressive business in terms of growth, actually. So if you really dig into the numbers, like the the growth rates have been hyper growth. So even in sort of the latest um, quarter, you know, against sort of comparatives, it's up 92% mm. revenue. Uh, Which is pretty impressive. Particularly for the year that we've had in terms of everybody, I guess, tightening their wallets and purse strings. Um, the, the founder is an interesting cat. I think... Holds a bunch of stock, you know, and it's usually what we like to see, but super private. Um, you won't see many articles or many deep dives, any media about him. Um, that's probably the question mark. And he has been selling down across the years. So mm. that's probably some- Put a bit of pressure on the share price. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, they do spend a lot on marketing. They have a big marketing budget. So the top line growth, impressive. Um, but investors obviously want to see cold hard cash at the end of the day as well. Yeah, I think the key there is it's a very capital light sort of business model. So they don't actually hold any of this stock. So when they're doing these deals with the distributors, they're the ones that then ship it out. Um, so mm. like it, you know, it, it allows Setire to basically turn over um, all the profits and cash flows that they make pretty quickly. Yeah, those inventory turns would be pretty good if you're not. Uh, owning any of it. Newix is another company that people will know did IPO not too long ago, a few years back, mm-hmm. um, and was a bit of a darling for a very, very short while. Mm-hmm. Thing absolutely thumped um, for reason after reason. I think even, it can be, correct me if I'm wrong here, Kev, but I think even for a time, there may have even been a class action or something like this that was on the cards. I think so. I think so. And this was back when, you know, the, the share price, as you said, was flying high. And, um, so it's an analytic software business. Um, there's been, you know, a sort of series of downgrades and things that have happened since. Mm. Um, basically it's been a turnaround. I think, a lot of investors have seen that um, their sort of EBITDA has grown up and 
sort of recovered strongly. I think I would probably caution investors or sort of draw their attention to the cash flow statement where like a lot of costs are still being capitalized through there. So any of the operational cash flow that is being generated there is kind of whittled away by some of the CapEx spend. Mm. Um, so I'm not sure how sustainable that is, but um, yeah, definitely, definitely been a good year for them, but still, yeah, the, I think there's uh, question marks on the business model. Okay. Is there any other companies you want to focus on from that list before we move to the US? Um, probably just the last one is Chrysos. Yep. Um, I'm not sure if this might be flying under the radar of some of some investors as well. Um, mm. It's a spin out out of the CSIRO and basically their tech, uh, they, they build machines um, and the photon assay technology, which is basically high powered x-rays, um, that lets miners and lab laboratories um, basically uh, have faster and more accurate gold analysis. So imagine a miner or a lab, they, they dig a whole bunch of samples out of the ground to test for basically gold mm -hmm. um, and how much gold is in there. Um, their test can basically do it you know, way faster in a matter of minutes versus three to four hours. Um, and it can do it with smaller samples. Um, this business is definitely growing very well, um, but there is a capital heavy component to this. So the business model is that they build these machines and then they lease it out to these miners and labs. Um, the only thing is that these machines cost a lot of money to build. I think um, I had it down here. I think it was around 3.6 million per unit. So wow. The, all the cash that they've raised and additionally raised from this is being basically consumed by how quickly they're producing them machines. Now, there's quite a big bit of demand there, but um, yeah, the, if you look to the cash flow statement, definitely some good cash flow there, but then the CapEx spend is uh, getting and increasing pretty high as well. So, wow. Yeah. If you've got to spend that much on a, on a unit, you want to be charging a lot for it. Mm -hmm. Um, wow. Okay. So the other part, which I know you're very passionate about is, and we've got two more parts to go. One is um, the US companies, and I can just list off the top 10 performing US stocks at the time of uh, collecting this information, which is NVIDIA, which we'll come to, Meta, Accenture, Royal Caribbean and Carnival Corps. So those two are uh, the people who know maybe from sh the cruises or something like this. Mm -hmm. Palo Alto Networks, I don't know how to say the next one, uh, Pulter Group? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I haven't come across this before. Uh, Advanced Micro Devices, otherwise known as AMD, Tesla, and Fair Isaac Corp, or FICO, which is getting a lot of attention lately. Um, now, let's start at the top, Kev. We have uh, NVIDIA, which is probably tying into the original point at the top of the show, which is that AI needs GPUs. Mm -hmm. And... NVIDIA is the biggest beneficiary and being the market darling of the year, I'd say. Yeah, um, definitely. Just incredible uh, market cap appreciation from this business, which is a wonderful business, uh, yeah. by the way, like um, Capital Light and, you know, it's got a, a founder and a CEO that has been a visionary really in, in the space. So, he sort of understood that GPUs could play a, a major part in technology and our lives. And he was the one that bet big on that. And um, the business is really benefiting from sort of years and years of 
I guess, trying different things and now getting to a stage where its technology is really powering, I guess, all the next gen things that um, are going to really benefit and create a lot of value for the world. Mm. I remember when I used to put an NVIDIA GPU in my old PCs that I had back in the day. Um, don't have it anymore, obviously just use Macs, but uh, that was definitely one of those things where I was like, this is kind of cool tech and I was really interested to see where the graphics could go. So NVIDIA, um, as a natural beneficiary from the surge towards more computing power, uh, parallel computing, has been a huge winner. I remember reviewing some of the results early this year, some of the quarterly results, thinking this is already near trillion dollar company at the time. I was thinking, maybe this is just all hype. Maybe this company is just growing out of nowhere, which a lot of the Aussie tech companies do too. Mm -hmm. So just share price goes up for not really many rational reasons. But I remember looking at the swing in profitability, just thinking, oh my Lord, like it has the financials, the fundamentals, the profit, the cash flow to back up the share price rise. And I was like, in a year from now, even though this thing has gone up multiple times, it could actually look cheaper in a year because the profits are rising so fast. Definitely. I think there has been a lot of hype in the business and I think it has delivered to some extent. Like um, it has, like there's been, you know, right now, like the forward earnings is high, but it's not outrageous, outrageous. Like there's definitely been companies that, you know, are trading on multiples that are much, much higher than this. But I think what sets NVIDIA apart is it really is powering a lot of the things that are going to change this world. Like if you look at the basically things from cloud computing to data centers to AI and autonomous vehicles, robotics, like they've got their kind of finger in everything. Um, mm. Even if we look at, you know, how much, I guess, their video cards or the price of their video cards have increased, like that's a substantial step up in pricing and it shows the the, the pricing power that this business has. Um, mm. You know, you look at things like the A100 server boards that are in a lot of the... Um, the servers to train things like ChatGBT, like they're, they're shipped in basically packs of eight and they cost 200,000 US. Hmm. Um, and, you know, I think there was a whole thing on Twitter about this where a lot of the tech companies were bragging about how many of these they had. And hmm. I think Microsoft's got, you know, used 10,000 of those just to train ChatGBT. So, um, wow. pretty impressive numbers. And you, you you think about the demand that's still coming for a lot of this, I think that's going to be sustainable to a point. Hmm. Uh, one of the companies that's maybe not directly involved in AI but seems to have benefited in a big way and it's probably just because it uses so much computing power is Meta or otherwise known as Facebook which owns Facebook, Messenger, uh, it owns WhatsApp, mm -hmm. Instagram, uh, it owns uh, Oculus and a few other VR businesses. Um, these types of platforms tend to benefit from better technologies because they can serve more reasonable ads, better content, these types of things. But Facebook is probably the, one of the most surprising names on this list for many people that thought that Facebook was dead a year ago. And now all of a sudden, um, folks have just woken up and realized, hey, Facebook's back in town. It's multiplied this year. It was a strange one for me. Like I know the threat of and the rise of TikTok was meteoric. So I think that was playing on a lot of investors' minds. It was almost like 
Facebook, you know, there's always been talk of Facebook Blue, the the core product, the original product sort of starting to lose users or growth really tapering out. But um, as far as I could see, you know, people were still using Instagram, Messenger and WhatsApp as much or if not more than what they had previously. So that always seemed a strange one for me. And it, you know, it got down to a point where sentiment turned so bad that I think the business was selling for, I think like six times earnings or something like that. And this is a business that's got no debt, bucket loads of um, cash, you know, a very capital light business that, you know, if you look at the metrics where user time and um, app downloads, they were all still pretty positive. Um, Yes, the ad dollars were, had slowed and actually dipped, but, you know, at the core there, and, and, you know, I think a lot of it got pulled up in the, you know, the bad sentiment about sort of their, their metaverse stuff, just burning bucket loads of cash. But the, the main core business of selling ads while everybody's sort of uploading content and producing the product, like that was always still there. So you've got a very strong business that offsets all those, um, losses, I guess. So, Mm. Yeah, to, to me, it was a strange one that it got so low and really sort of a big turnaround. Mm, huge. Another one um, is Accenture, uh, which has been spoken about on the show before by the likes of Stephen Arnold from Aorus. Accenture is the global consulting business, does a lot in the tech space. Um, one thing that happens with these types of global um, behemoths is that people often see them cutting jobs and think that's a bad thing for their business. Um, but oftentimes they cut jobs and they realize that they can still keep growing with this reduced workforce, mm-hmm. uh, which cuts a lot of costs out. So it's not great for people to get laid off, of course. Um, but these types of businesses, these kind of like A plus or the gold standard consulting businesses tend to have a very, very good track record of capital allocation and also like shareholder profitability. Mm, I think it flows from sort of having customers and clients that have just been with them for the journey for a very long time. So you see, um, like if you're a client of Accenture, you you know, you're going to them for strategy consulting and and IT services year after year. And I I don't think that really changes a lot, um, even with sort of market sentiment and downturns. Like I I think they were saying, you know, so many of their customers are, 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 you know, always with them, and it's a pretty reliable and it's a it's a high quality business, right? So, um, you, you've you see them lay off. I think it was nineteen thousand jobs or something like that, and it's been a very uh, common theme of, with a lot of the big businesses, especially in the US, where um, I think they kind of got a bit bloated. Um, you know, times were good, rates were low. Um, you know, there was money to spend, and then all of a sudden. Uh, that changed where the cost of capital went up and, um, you know, investors and shareholders were like, well, why are you spending all this money on some of these uh, things? And, you know, really took a magnifying glass to, mm-hmm. you know, expense items. And, um, you know, with Accenture, they were able to automate, I think it was 13,000 jobs or, or sort of reskill and deploy um, these people into other positions. So margins sort of are, are really up and, and up in a big way. Um, but the main theme here is that, you know, it's a story of multiple expansion rather than, you know, real top line growth for me. Mm. Um, so, I think some of the these very impressive gains from you know twelve months ago. I don't think I don't I don't know how sustainable they are. 
Yeah. Well, it's interesting. It's a share price up 150%, and it's a huge company. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you've got to imagine if it's up 150% and the profit or price earnings multiple is going from 23 to 31-ish, um, that's a you know near 50% increase just in the expanded, expanded profit uh, multiple or the valuation just being stretched. Um, and so for a lot of investors, you probably don't want to bank on that happening again. No. Particularly if we do see some more, like, I guess, pain in terms of uh, economic pain and those types of things. But uh, it's going to be interesting because this has been a high-quality business for decades. So Absolutely. Um, it, can, it will still be a high-quality business, just whether or not it can continue to demand that multiple. The two final companies we might just pay some quick lip service to, Kev, is Royal pa- Caribbean Cruise and Carnival Corp. Um, these businesses are up 143%. And 124% respectively, which basically translates into these cruise lines becoming multi-baggers in one year. Um, I'm guessing a lot of it's just due, frankly, to timing, as in coming out of COVID, they're in absolutely awful shape. Mm -hmm. No customers anywhere in the world wanted to jump on a cruise during COVID. Fast forward a couple of years, they've returned to maybe near business as usual. I don't know. Um, and all of a sudden, they've gone up. Yeah, and I think it's a big. St- this is the the classic turnaround, right? Like, um, you know, these two big businesses and very sort of capital heavy businesses went from, um, you know, earning really good money um, and pretty reliable, pretty stable um, sort of cash flows to then, you know, having no customers and then still supporting um, this huge asset base and balance sheet. So they were burning, you know a lot of money and now that you know the customers have returned passengers have returned um you know revenues are getting very close to sort of uh the pre-covid highs and like they've gone from bleeding cash to now producing cash again what i will sort of you know let investors know is maybe have a look at sort of the balance sheets of these businesses um while they are in a pretty strong position cash flow wise like because they've had to go through the struggles with COVID, they have accumulated a lot of debt. So in, in the case of Royal Caribbean, that's debt's gone from, you know, net debt's gone from 11 billion to 20 billion. So that's, that's net yeah. debt. So that's after you subtract the cash. Correct. So, and with that debt as well, like with rates going up, the, the cost of that financing that debt is, I think, you know, having look into the notes, like they're, they're financing those at greater than 10%. So we're talking about $2 billion just in interest expense, which huge. if you look at then the operating cash flows, that a lot of that gets wiped out, you know, um, and it's a similar story with Carnival Corp. You know, net debt went from $9 billion to $30 billion and also share counts have been on the rise. So if you look at... Your, you know, your slice of the business pre versus post COVID, and now, um, you know, you're owning less of that business as well. So, less of the business, lots of debt, mm-hmm. and it goes to show. And when no one really saw COVID coming, pre COVID, um, but at the same time, it shows the businesses that have no pricing power in effect of like they're dependent on some outside force. Mm-hmm. And we see this in the travel industry time and again in the airline industry, capital intensive businesses with a lot of heavy things on their balance sheet, things like building, things like property plan and equipment, ships, mm-hmm. these types of things, lots of staff. Um, they're great when they're 
everything's good because mm-hmm. they can magnify the returns, kind of like a loan on a property. Yep. Um, it's good when the going's good, but when it's bad, it gets really bad really quickly. And you probably don't want many of those stocks in your portfolio if you are thinking about investing in anything like that. Um, as we come to the end of the show, there are some ETFs we've got to go through. The top performing ETFs, uh, I'll run through the list really quickly. We've got the Crip ETF from BetaShares, Crypto Innovators ETF, CYRP, FANG from GlobalX, that's the GlobalX FANG Plus ETF, F-A-N-G, Alnas, GlobalX Ultra Long NASDAQ 100 Hedge Fund, that's L-N-A-S, the HYGG Fund, which is the Hyperion Global Growth Companies Fund, it's a managed fund as well, uh, SEMI, which is the GlobalX Semiconductor ETF, Uranium or URNM from BetaShares Global Uranium ETF, MATV, uh, sorry, MTAV, which is the BetaShares Metaverse ETF, similar to the Facebook one. So there's seven there. Um, I can maybe pay some lip service to these really quick. Crypto, um, the, the ETF was one of the worst performers of all time in terms of destroying shareholder or in ETF investor capital after its IPO, after its listing on the stock exchange. It's now made a bit of a comeback, uh, naturally. Fang, um, really concentrated on those top 10 stocks uh, from GlobalX. We've talked about that a lot. Drew called it one of his best investments ever. Um, credit to him. Alnas, which is a leveraged product, which means that it basically magnifies the returns up and down of the stock market of the NASDAQ 100. And as we know, the NASDAQ 100 has performed well. Hyperion, which is an active fund manager, uh, big business. I think it's one of the Pinnacle affiliates. So I think it's part of the Pinnacle Investment Management Suite. Um, Again, pretty concentrated, uh, has a lot of companies like Microsoft, ServiceNow, Spotify, Amazon in the portfolio. Semi, GlobalX Semiconductor ETF, a play again on AI and the usage of chips and these types of things. Um, things like lithography is in there as well with ASML, NVIDIA, so on and so forth. Uranium, I've made the joke to you after before the show that um, long on promise, short on delivery have been a lot of these uranium companies. Um, again, quite, uh, I guess, Concentrated, mm-hmm. it's fair to say. Yep. Um, to put it lightly, finally, MTAV is a meta- metaverse ETF, and as you would imagine, things like Nintendo, uh, Meta, Nvidia. Once again, a lot of overlap. If you owned all of these ETFs with Nvidia, by the sounds of it, those mm-hmm. are all up in there. It's a ga- more of a gaming style ETF yep. uh, at the end there. So uh, you can chuck those on your watch list. They're not. Any of those seven are not really the seven that I cover that closely. Would probably all fall into the satellite component of a portfolio. Um, maybe Hyperion, maybe Fang, you could have a small allocation in a growth portfolio in your core. But three fun things to end the show, Kev. This is what I really wanted to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about investing and the best investments, like the stocks, the what goes into our portfolios from one year to the next. You've had quite a uh, a year full of really interesting things that you've done. So you've come to the table with three investments that have been, I guess, in yourself or in your personal life. Mm. And I'm curious what these three things are. Yeah, the the first one, so I got married uh, last year uh, around sort of this time and, and shout out to my lovely wife, Amy. Congrats, um, mate. Congrats. Thank you. We had uh, a bit of a delayed honeymoon. So in April this year, we went over to the States um, and we did Mexico as well. Um, and um, being the lovely wife that Amy is, um, she actually let me go to Berkshire Hathaway's um, huh. AGM. So yeah, like uh, it, it's the first time I ever went. Um, and with obviously the sad passing of Charlie just recently, um, mm. yeah, very, very lucky timing. So, um, 
you know, as an investment nerd, just an amazing experience um, to spend a couple of days there. So um, for anyone considering, like I would really urge you to sort of make the trip. Um, I actually have a bit of a special thing here for you, Owen. I was um, wondering what this is. I thought you just brought a treat into the studio. It is a treat, but uh, this is C's Candy Peanut Brittle. So oh, wow. I would, <laughs> okay, I would I'll grab a little bit. To, I this I is actually all for you. So, Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. I've never had C's Candy. So I've never had it as well. Obviously a Berkshire company. It is. I'm going to crush this. Apologies if it's on the microphone. It is. And um, something that, you know, until you try it, you're like, oh, like, is it that good? But there's a reason why um, these two love this and highly addictive. And and thank you for uh, my brother-in-law who brought me a box back uh, from the States recently. This is seriously, seriously good. It is. It is like crack. Man, it, is, <laughs> <laughs> it is very good. So, this is what? Peanut brittle. Peanut brittle. It's what you'll, if you kind of rewatch um, any of the Berkshire um days that are on YouTube, you'll see the two greatest investors probably of all time just munching on a box of these. So, um, wow. very, very good. Highly recommend anybody try it. Um, and yeah, I like just love the meeting. Um, you know, just really quickly, Kev, mm-hmm. C's candy, because we don't have it here in Australia. This is seen as like a premium candy in the United States, right? Correct. I think a lot of people sort of give it to partners or, or dates or wives and, um, especially on Valentine's Day and Christmas and birthdays. So, um, Naturally, you brought some for me. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, Makes sense. <laughs> but yeah, like uh, I, I also, for any listeners out there, like I have, I tried the little sample pack of like various other um, chocolates and things and the peanut brittle is definitely the best one. So stick okay. with that for now. I wonder if you could buy it on Amazon. That'd be so cool. Okay. So I noticed that in your notes, you also had um, – some gems, maybe some uh, quick quotes that you could throw at us that you got from Mrs. Munger and Buffett. Yeah, the the first one um, I think was from Warren himself. So he he said, write your obituary and try to figure out how to live up to it. For business, you want to make it you want to make sure that you don't make any mistakes that take you out of the game or come close to taking you out of the game. So I think what he's talking about there is just have that consistency in performance and, you know, really take away the risk where, you know, you might be able to suffer any very large losses. So basically- Carnival. Yeah. That we just talked about. Kind of let compounding do his thing. And, you know, it's obviously his number one rule is to sort of never lose money. So Mm. um, Mm. other ones that I I think, you know, that kind of stuck out to me were- one from Munger, um, he goes, it's so simple in terms of his life advice. You spend less than you earn, invest shrewdly, avoid toxic people and toxic activities. Try to keep learning all your life and um, do it with a lot of deferred gratification. So just, you know, really wise in the things that they delivered, like um, Warren, especially at the meeting, was, you know, as energetic and as sharp as ever. Charlie, um, you know, still was, you know, they lasted the whole day there answering questions from investors and at 99, you know, that's no mean feat. And um, yeah, definitely sort of tip my hat off to them. There were people in the crowd that were getting very tired and sort of drifting off and those two were powering on. Incredible, this candy and Coke. Um, I'm glad there's another quote here that you had, which I, I listened to it all back through, I think it was like, CNBC or Yahoo Finance, they all have the live stream available. I think it may have been on YouTube. 
Um, and you can watch the most recent years um, AGMs on playback. And I loved this quote when I heard it. I absolutely loved it. So I'm glad you put it in here, which is from, uh, I think it was from Warren at the time. Correct me if I'm wrong. I've never known anybody who was kind but died without friends, but I've known plenty of people with money that died without friends. And he said a few things similar to that throughout the day. Uh, and I just love that quote because um, it's basically that one and the first one that you mentioned, in fact, all of them, it's basically start with the end in mind. It's like, mm -hmm. what is the ideal life and how do you want to be remembered? How do you want to be seen by others? Just live up to that expectation. Do everything you can to move towards that, um, which is just wonderful. Okay. The second thing that you've brought up is more recent, but also travel related. Also travel related. So a bit of a common theme as well with the things that I've talked about. Um, I was lucky enough sort of to visit China and Hong Kong recently. Um, and yeah, just I have, I've, you know, my mum is born in Hong Kong and my dad is born in China and I was born in Australia. So I've been to China once and Hong Kong once in my life. And they were both when I was very young and the trip, really sort of opened my eyes to what or how much that country has actually changed. China in particular, like, um, you know, I've got a, uh, a write-up coming up um, for members that can read, that they can read shortly, but, you know, just the, the size of change and the scale of change in that country absolutely blew my mind. It was wild. Mm. Um, just high-speed trains, um, the EVs that are coming, that that country is producing, the road network that they've been able to produce, um, the tech as well. It's the, just how many people are in that country and the size of the cities are just mind-blowing. Mm. So you've done a full write-up on this and you've also got photos of your trip through, from throughout of the infrastructure of the cars, of the properties and all these types of things. And you've got their kind of like boots on the ground, look at it all. Because a lot of people don't go there because it's so hard to travel to, which you do have some tips in your write-up. And by the way, Kev's talking about uh, the write-up for members. So if you're a member of Rascor, you can expect to see a lot more from Kev in the future. Um, but I was actually taken back by some of the things you said because in the lead-up to that, you and I had talking, uh, spoken about how, um, whether or not to invest directly in China or whether to use like the uh, S&P 500 ETF and get some exposure through things like Starbucks. And some of the things that you sent through was just, it really made me think about how to go about that. Mm -hmm. For anyone that uh, owns a Tesla like me or owns Tesla shares, I do not own Tesla shares. Um, did you see many Teslas on the road when you were there? In Hong Kong? They were everywhere, so almost saturated in that market. In China, they're definitely there as well, but I think what's coming, and I think Elon actually mentioned this recently, is the, the competitive threat that is there and the amount of different EV brands that are coming. Um, Australia might actually see this a little bit more delayed than the rest of the world, purely because we're uh, the right-hand drive builds, and they're usually like two or three years behind, um, but the technology that is in them and even the car designs, like they're very good looking cars and they're stacked with tech. And, you know, these are companies, some of these companies are only three to four years old. And I think for a first gen release of these cars, it, it was very impressive for me to see in person. And the quality's there, like, um, you know, they definitely make, you know, cheaper stuff as well, low, low cost cars, but the premium stuff um, can compete with, 
any of the European and, and worldwide counterparts. So, well, wow. yeah. So we're talking about brands from China, car brands from China that create electric vehicles that most of us here in Australia probably don't even know exist. Or have heard of. And like I urge probably listeners, the, the best thing is to just Google and, and YouTube some of these and see some of the reviews that are out there. Like the designs are cool. The tech is very impressive. And more importantly is the the cost point. Like there's these are going to compete very, very hard in an industry that, you know, is low margin and the winners here are going to be the consumers. Mm. That's the big driving force behind Tesla cutting its cost as quickly as it can to try and compete, right? Mm-hmm. To try and drop the cost so it gets their cars before any others in the hands of more consumers. Yep. Not just in the United States, but in Australia, in Europe, everywhere. Because there's only a certain time in the sun that you have before you have to face realities of capitalism. Yep. Um, semi-capitalism, maybe, if we're talking about <laughs> China. Uh, final thing, which is a bit of fun, something that you've invested in personally. Yeah, um, a YouTube premium subscription. I'm a notorious tight ass, so I try <laughs> not to pay too much for any subscriptions, but man, I love my YouTube subscription. I mm-hmm. I'd hate to see how many hours I've actually clocked up on YouTube, but it would be a lot. And yeah, just like as a curious dude, I, I love seeing such cool content, such unique personal content being created. And like a couple of my favorite channels are Alex, um, French guy cooking. I love cooking. Um, he does yeah. some really cool stuff um, in terms of diving deep into recipes and going into Italy and uh, other different countries and seeing it firsthand. Um, cool. Bo Miles, who's a who's an Aussie guy, um, they call him the the backyard adventurer. He kayaked, uh, you know, from Victor Tassie. Um, <laughs> ate 40 days of um, canned beans straight uh, for every meal. And then ran not, like, not on the Tassie trip. Not on, no, <laughs> not else. related. Um, and then also did like this 24-hour mile marathon where he ran a, a mile every hour and then did other tasks. He's just cool, funny, wholesome content. Um, and then one last one is Nathaniel Drew. He sort of goes into languages and, and culture. And he, he like it's pretty amazing what he can show you to do. Like he, I think he learned Italian in like seven days or something or learned – Italian to a very impressive level in seven days. So, um, yeah, just some cool stuff out there. Wow. Okay, so there's some good recs for anyone. Um, Premium, YouTube Premium. I do have that as well, and i got to admit, I just love skipping those ads. Oh, yeah. Uh, So good. And you get some original content if you've got kids and that. Um, China trip, full write-up, be out in Rask soon. Loving the quotes from uh, Berkshire. Congrats going there for the last one. Uh, with the two of them together. Lots of ETFs, more on the thematic side, as you'd expect a leverage one. Some cruisers making their way up the list of the top 10 in the US. Uh, clearly in the United States, the top 10 list from the S&P 500 are much superior, high, like high quality compared to some of these Australian names that made the top of the list that more of a bounce, if anything. Um, and it just, for me, emphasizes yet again the explosive growth of already large companies in the US where there's so much innovation happening. Uh, we saw companies like Step One, Doug, Satire, Newix, and uh, hey, say it, Chrys- Chrysos. Chrysos, I always get it wrong. Um, all on the list when you made that filter exclude companies with no revenue. If you don't put that filter on inside your ticket terminal or however you screen for companies, you're going to end up with a lot of wildcats. Uh, in the mix. And that was Wildcat Resources making it number one with a 27 bagger in 12 months. Um, But still, no revenue. 
no sales for that uh, massive company, which is a very big red flag for me. Um, not the type of thing that I invest in, but to c- congrats to everyone that has invested in it uh, and did enjoy that run on the way up. Uh, so this was 23 stocks or 23 investments in 2023. I think my favorite three were the last three, to be honest, Kev. Um, it was also quite shocking to see so much debt on those uh, boats. I reckon if you printed all those US dollar bills and you put them on the boats, that'd probably fill up a whole cruise. Um, could be a Titanic. <laughs> could be a Titanic situation. Um, anyway, man, this has been heaps of fun. Thanks. I think I think this is your second episode on the Australian Investors Podcast. I think you appeared years ago, but I'm so delighted to have you back in the team. So, mate, thanks for taking some time to join me. Oh, lovely to be here, mate. And um, yeah, it was loads of fun. Yep. Uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas, mate. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.